started a business, you want money. We didn't do it for that. We did it to pick up the town, and it did. Throughout that whole time of all the challenges, I have lots of memories, but I don't have any memories about thinking about how things were going to fall through or things weren't going to work out. This is Gumption, Grit, and Grace, a podcast by Coalfield Development, all about rebuilding the Appalachian economy from the ground up. I'm your host, Brandon Dennison, founder and CEO of Coalfield Development. This week, we're going to be celebrating 10 years of rebuilding the Appalachian economy from the ground up. Today, we'll be reflecting back on a lot of the challenges and joys and unexpected barriers and newfound hopes that were realized for the Appalachian region as a result of this little startup that we call Coalfield Development. 2020 is our 10-year anniversary, and I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning with our first ever employee and crew chief, Chase Thomas, who's currently a board member of Coalfield Development, and one of our first ever crew members, Andy Endicott. And thank you, Chase, for being here today. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be invited. So I've been excited about this for a while and happy to talk about some old times. Went to school for engineering and graduated from WVU. And uh, so post Coalfield, I've got back into mechanical engineering and I work as a consulting engineer for a company in St. Albans, West Virginia. I have a wife, uh, just celebrated her three-year anniversary and uh, also got a stepchild. She's nine years old and she's uh, a real... Uh, awesome addition to life. So that's kind of been uh, where I've been since. Keep you on your toes. Yep, absolutely. And Andy, how about you? Tell us about where you're at in life now. I am crew chief of a three-man crew. Here at Coalfield, we brought you back. Yep, you brought me back. Well, I actually went through the whole the whole program and uh, second one to make it, actually. We're doing an apartment complex up in Hamlin. We've got 24 apartments up there that we're redoing and we're on number four of turnover right now. So I got a wife of five years now. I got three kids and they're just a handful. And you're building a new house. Is that right? I bought 40 acres of land. It was on the deed. It's written up as a hunting shack. Literally jacked it up off the ground by myself. Little by little picked it up and put a foundation underneath it because I didn't have no foundation. I started out with 700 square feet and I'm going to have 1,500 when I'm done. So Andy, uh, yeah, we call it a Coalfield champion. So someone who works hard on the job, earns multiple professional certifications, and then also goes all the way to earn that associate's degree, uh, becomes a Coalfield champion. You're saying you're the second ever Coalfield champion. Yep. So, and you're doing a great job as crew chief. Coalfield Development was started in 2010 and really nothing happened the first two years. It was a volunteer effort. We were trying to raise money to, to do some creative things and it just took time. But even before we had raised any money, Chase, you believed in the vision of Coalfield Development. Chase and I were best friends in high school, knew each other well. And during uh, graduate school, we were uh, we were having dinner at good old Applebee's. And I was just sort of telling you that I had these ideas of improving housing, but hiring local people to do it and including the community college component. It wasn't even nearly as refined as 33, 6, and 3. Just vague ideas, but something about it really clicked with you and it'd be fun to just hear how you remember that dinner. The, the construction element really uh, interested me, but just being able to put all the components together of, of getting jobs training for generally people that are just coming out of high school and uh, the education component, you know, kind of combined with the work skills and and then also trying to mentor while you're working 
just just really resonated with me to be able to be a part of you know what that was and and I just had a and I still do I really enjoy just working with my hands and this was a time in life where with my field in engineering I was you know most likely headed for a white collar job and but I just wanted to be able to experience you know what it was like to be out in the field and doing work with your hands every day and, and of course like it, if I put it a, an experience you know that I've gained for my career now like just to be able to know how things are built we were inspired by our, our faith, but we wanted to like actually live that out, not just talk about it, not just talk about what happens in an afterlife, but how do we let our faith motivate us to do something that makes things better now? Absolutely. Yep. And yeah, and I think that's what has always been something in common that you and I've discussed with our faith, that it really is kind of like a here and now component. Absolutely. So by the end of dinner, you were like, I'm in. Yeah. I was like, that's great. I was like, I got to find some money. (laughs) So then I sort of, I went to finish graduate school and started fundraising. And really, even when when you started at Coalfield, I was still just part-time. I was working at the Wayne County Economic Development Authority. And we still really didn't have any major funding, but we had gotten a loan. Uh, So we had bought the apartment buildings. The apartments are going to generate a little bit of revenue. And then the loan gave us some startup money. We're going to use your truck, get a trailer, some tools and equipment and hire a crew and get it going. So it, it was a pretty big risk. I think for a lot of nonprofits to start with a loan is, is a different sort of model from the traditional fundraising model. We'd grown up in West Virginia. We love West Virginia, but we also knew West Virginia was not achieving its full potential. So we wanted Coalfield Development to be a place where West Virginia workers could come and realize their full potential. And so we actually got a lot of pushback. I remember I had a contractor literally laughed in my face when I pitched him the vision so he's like, son, the problem is you're not going to find anybody who wants to work. Uh, things were rough in West Virginia. And there is this cynicism setting in that, you know, West Virginians are lazy, didn't want to work. You know, we were trying to show, show something different. So you came on and then we did our interviews. So we were recruiting out of the vocational program at the high school. And I feel like the interviews were really affirming because we sat down with these young people and all of them wanted to work. All of them wanted to be a part of something special. All of them wanted to learn. But our economy had gotten so slow uh, that, that there weren't enough opportunities for people to apply that gumption. The fact that you bring up some of the doubters that had brought that same thing up, just it brings back a lot of memories of like our, our fears there in the beginning. So It wasn't a sure bet this was going to work out. <laughs> no, and, and some of the things that we discussed even on our, uh, the, the retreat we took, talking about what, what are some of the challenges that we're going to face as we hire the first crew. I mean, we were talking about things like, you know, what do we, you know, we're obviously going to deal with not showing up on time and j- just the craziest thing. But that's the one that stuck out to me the most, I guess, is just not showing up on time. But we started these interviews and... It was just unbelievable. I mean, you know, every single candidate, I felt like they were not just early. I mean, they were half hour early and we're just there ready to go, eager to have it. They called us before we had time to follow up. Exactly. And and, and most of them had jobs uh, that they were working currently. They just were, you know, looking to get into a lot of like minimum wage jobs. Yeah, minimum wage jobs. Yeah, correct. But they were just looking to get into something that was going to be more of a career that they could, you know, work themselves into something that they were totally capable and had the potential. And could raise a family on. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, even though we were not wanting to believe, you know, some of the the negative things that we'd heard about the area, it's, I still was even surprised that, you know, we weren't going to be dealing with things like showing up on time and, and work ethic. So, Andy, what do you remember about your, your interview? Hugh Roberts, my building construction teacher. He actually showed up on my 
lawn as I was mowing grass. He said, you need a job? I said, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so he gave me your number and I called you and got an interview on top of Chase Bank. And what were you doing before Coalfield Development? Well, I had just lost my job from Mineral Labs Incorporated. Like a coal-related business? Sampling coal. And we just sat there really all day and cleaned coal out of a sample machine. I was needing work, and I wasn't expecting Hugh to show up on my lawn at all. It was just out of the blue, he just showed up. He remembered how to get to my house. I don't know how. <laughs> Nobody can remember to get to my house. We talk a lot about collaboration at Coalfield Development, so I'm glad you mentioned uh, Hugh Roberts. He was the vocational teacher in the high school. And so before we started Coalfield, we really just spent a lot of time listening to different community members about you know, what, what is really needed here. And Hugh felt strongly that the job piece, you know, training's fine, but people can't put their whole life on hold to go get training, that you need income and employment while you're getting trained. Uh, Hugh was, was, gave really good advice on that. So were you nervous for the interview? It was a little nerve-wracking. I just remember there was this long table, and it was just you and Chase. I just remember asking you for the blueprint at the end of it, if I could keep it. I still got those. So the blueprints, we were sharing some of the projects that we wanted to move forward in Wayne County that seemed to make an impact with it. So you said you still have the blueprints of the Erlings project to this yeah. day? Yeah, and same envelope I got it in. You know, it's cool to hear that too, because at, at that time, that would have been 2012, the Erlings General Store project was just, all it was was an idea on paper. In reality, it was just an ugly, empty building. Oh, yeah, right so, next door to where we interviewed. One of our values, we wanted to keep our promises, keep focus on the mission. And it's good that several years later, we followed through, we finished that. What it looked like on the paper is what it actually looks like now today. So week one, so we hire our first crew of three, Chase is the crew chief. He's driving around his truck, and Andy's one of the first three crew members. So we had a deconstruction project. Yeah, so the first week was, it was wild. So we had flooding in an area of Wayne County that had, I guess, uh, totaled, I don't even know the term exactly, for a lot of the houses that were, were in this one area that were all damaged by flooding. So FEMA had bought up a bunch of these houses just to be demolished. And we were just given a, uh, I think it was about 12 houses, to say like, hey, you know, they're going to be demolished. One of the big things that we wanted to do was uh, salvage materials. So it was a uh, it was a straight salvage to try and find all of the valuable materials that we could reuse through uh, our building construction. So Hugh Roberts helped us to show us show us a couple things on you know what we could get as far as high quality items like cabinets and trim and high quality doors and and things that we could uh, eyeball throughout all these houses. But first day, I mean, I think. I just got a handful of keys. It was an envelope that was full of all these different keys. We pulled up in my truck and we had bought a trailer at that time. So we had just one flatbed trailer that we were ready to load up with all this stuff. So we pull up to the first house or the first house that we found a key that worked, I guess. <laughs> and uh, so we, we walk into this house and it wasn't like any of the other houses. I mean, there, there was like really nothing in here that looking back on it, that it was worth even going in, but like no, no materials of value. Right. So, you know, I guess I had the mind of like working with Hugh that he, uh, meticulously disassembled these cabinets that we went with. And I just remember, you know, one of our crew members, Josh just took his hammer and went right through the drywall and they, the three crew members, Josh, Andy, and, uh, Harry was part of our first three crew. And they had had the trim off the doors out, like drywall torn up in a matter of like five or 10 minutes. Went to town. Right. <laughs> and 
I think that's when everything just kind of settled into me. You know, you have your dreams of everything you're going to be like, and like, this is reality. Like, you know, we have a whole process and we have a lot of things that, you know, we've got to learn. And, you know, I had to learn about, you know, just the job itself and uh, what we need to teach to these these young guys. So the, the vision, we're talking about deconstruction. So the idea was that instead of just knocking down a house, West Virginia has a lot of empty houses because our population has gone down. It's left a lot of empty houses and buildings. And traditionally, a, a municipality just gets a grant, knocks it down, and it all goes in a landfill. And our creative idea was there's really valuable materials in those old houses, you know, old growth, lumber, tongue and groove flooring, really unique, ornate fixtures that we could resell or reuse. And, and we've learned, you know, I think the finances of that margins are thin, but I think environmentally we did. We kept hundreds of thousands of square feet of material out of landfills that would have ended up in a landfill otherwise. So we had a lot to learn about the job. I think we had a lot to learn also about mentorship. I mean, Chase and I just sort of, we were young ourselves. The crew was young. You know, it's not like we've been trained to be a counselor (laughs) uh, or anything like that. And I think like the work ethic was phenomenal. I mean, our three crew members were like 30 minutes early almost every day and would have worked from dawn till dusk if we let them, I think. But some of the emotional support that was needed as a mentor, there seemed to be a lot of chaos at the home life. Figuring out how to support someone through that was was tough. As we got into uh, the work and the weeks drove on, yeah, a lot of it's just, you know, was digging in and finding out that it's just, you know, home life situations, relationships, uh, family. And me being, you know, young myself was just it was just a wait to kind of see, but, but, but that was the difference of what we were trying to do was make that, you know, cause we knew what a, you know, your normal employer would do. It would just be like, you know, this is about the job. Seeing those things, you, you knew that this is what it was all about. This is what we were, we're going to try to do to, um, really support some of these situations. So there in the beginning, I just remember learning about some of these situations and what they have to deal with and something that I personally have have never had to deal with. So I don't have a relation to even, you know, mentor in a lot of these aspects of their lives. So I think at that point in where Coalfield was, that was when we really started to decide how, you know, we needed to balance that personal aspect of development and the professional aspect of development. 33, 6, and 3 is like such a well-known thing now, but that did not exist in the beginning. It was really just, we're going to work, and we're going to go to community college, and we're going to do some activities together. And all the mentorship was going to happen while we are on the job. Right. Yeah, it was it was beautiful in our minds. Yeah, we're going to be <laughs> nailing those studs in. Just having these heart-to-hearts. And having these, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was just, you know, we have a, you know, business side to do because, you know, we were we still had, you know, we're a business and trying to make money and stay productive. But then you have these three crew members that are dealing with like these uh, very challenging life problems. You know, at one time you want to say like, you know, you were late this morning. Then another side, you, you know, you knew exactly the reason, you know, why that is. We had more than one bottom line. I mean, I think to this day, we talk with our our enterprises about the thing about social entrepreneurs is there's more than one. You have your financial bottom line, but then you have your social bottom line, and then you add an environmental bottom line, triple bottom line. How do you hold all of that in balance in a given workday? It's just so hard. I think that's just where we started to come up with that realization that like some, you know, we we had to do some separation from when are we going to be tackling, you know, these issues. And there's a time during the day or a time during the week when we're going to be deliberate about what we're doing. And, and, you know, looking back, I know that even Coalfield today is still honing, you know, exactly, you know, when these times and places are. But that was just the very beginning. 
Andy, what do you remember about as far as the mentorship and how Chase and I tried to earn your trust and support you and mentor you? Uh, what do you remember about that? I remember just the amount of grace that was given by y'all. Like y'all, y'all took the time. And even if we did mess up, like we had this yellow bar that was given to us, donated. It's a stud remover and we lost it. And no idea where it went. It was symbolic because it was the first tool of the company. And... No, we ain't seen it since. Brendan Dennison was mad, but he, he, he forgave us and we just moved on. The want to see it build up. You just don't see that in regular jobs. It's more like a we'll learn together type thing. I think if everybody had that, they would remember it. So Andy, I'm remembering a conversation. That if I remember correctly, the school part was tough for you. And this happens a lot that West Virginia work ethics, unbelievable. The work part's not the hardest part. It's the school and the personal development. And I, what I was, I was making the point that school is like work, that just for work, like you wake up early and you get motivated and you go give it your best and you give it your all and you really focus and work hard and that you got to do the same thing in school. You got to go in real motivated. You got to meet with your professor, take a lot of notes, go see a tutor if you have to. And I remember we had a very intense conversation. Do you remember the phrase that we agreed upon for school? Take the bull by the horns. And we, we had that metaphor of taking the bull by the horns. Just really school is a bull. You just had to wrestle to the ground. Yeah, definitely. And it, I mean, that even helped me. You know what I mean? Just pretty much telling me, get up and go get it. We got a deconstruction job up in Pocahontas County in Durban. You guys remember this? And uh, this was a good one because it was a turn-of-the-century house. Had old-growth lumber, tongue-and-groove wood flooring. There's going to be a lot of materials we felt we could salvage. There are a lot of elements to this, but I, I remember just getting on site. And I think you had seen the house before, but I hadn't seen it. So we did a walkthrough, and I was, I mean, it was a big house. <laughs> I mean, two, two full stories. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure the square footage, but I would say like at least 2,500, maybe maybe more. But yeah, I mean, that was one of the time we were really learning that this was like an early 1900s house, maybe late 1800s. But there's a lot of good, I mean, everything. From Even just the joists? The, yeah, the joists were rough cut, you know, uh, actual wide lumber and uh, everything that in the house was salvageable because e even if, you know, we wouldn't use it for building. We had a buyer from New York lined up. For a lot of the joists and, and uh, old rough cut lumber that was in there. So we didn't quite get it done that first week. We, so we came back. My faith in how fast we can get a project done and, and the facts of reality are sometimes not perfectly aligned. So I, anyway, so we go back for the next week and we're almost done, but there's like one, like the kitchen's not quite done, I think. And it had like the least valuable material in it. So we make a, a decision to just burn the rest down. Not in line with our values, not really a good idea well, for, not really safe. It's not a figurative saying either. Like we're gonna burn the thing down. We're gonna down. light it on fire and burn it because we just, we were done. We had to leave the next morning. There's nothing good in this. It was like an addition to the house. Right, again, not a good decision, but it's what happened. We had a buyer for the wood products. So the wood products are nicely and neatly stacked in the yard. It turns out the kitchen, it's like four boxes and nothing on top. So it turns into this flame vortex and it just gets consumed in fire and starts falling to the left, right on top of our wood materials that we have lined up for this buyer. So the whole point of being here is to get this wood material, which is now also catching on fire. And so there's this other, I will never forget, there's this other house right next door. And so Chase and I are just filling buckets 
and like slipping next door to get fill buckets to like throw water on our product to still salvage some sort of earned revenue out of this project. Yep, to extinguish these flames and legit, not just worried about our product, but just to worry about that this is literally, you know, gonna go up and- Like we're gonna burn this town down. (laughs) Exactly. The deconstruction has continued to be a niche of ours. But when we got the Erlings construction project, and then we went from deconstruction to now we were building out a, a place and we were doing we were introducing new technologies to the area that's you know, solar water heaters and low flow water fixtures and airtight insulation methods that were not common around here. And at your interview, you saw a blueprint of this empty, ugly building and our vision for what we could do with it. And we wanted to hire local people to do it. And then when we actually kept that promise. I think that was a big deal. You started a business, you want money. And we didn't do it for that. We did it to pick up the town, and it did. It was an old rotten building that nobody was even going to pay attention to. It was going to fall eventually, and picking it up off the ground. Just, I mean, I did my house the same way. Picked it up off the ground. And, I mean, that was a learning point. It taught me how with literally, literally with those two hands. hands. What is it about Coalfield Development that made it stick anyways, despite our mistakes, despite our many, 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 many challenges, everything that went wrong? And there are some weeks that felt like everything that could go wrong was going wrong, professionally, personally, and academically all at the same time. What is it about Coalfield Development that, that really made it stick? I think you just want to see what's going to happen. So everybody is on that same page. That sense of learning together. I think the three crew members, me included, was just like, you know what? They might not know what they're doing, but neither do we. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's just do it. After probably about halfway through, it seemed like it was going to pick up, and we just went with it. I just think it was the realization, though, that everything that you know we had initially thought and envisioned about the Appalachian area just came into reality. We fought so many challenges from you know, inexperienced to the mentoring challenges. And no uniforms, no logo. Every day it was just a new challenge of what to learn. All the great things about Appalachia just really shone through. And, and you know, the crew members that we had working for us just showed some uh, amazing determination. And I, I just think the two of us and the people that we had supporting us uh, just really pushed us through. And throughout that whole time of all the challenges, have lots of memories, but I don't have any memories about thinking about how things were going to fall through or things weren't going to work out. A nice shift or change of uh, scenery to go from deconstruction to actually building something in the community. And I think these guys, you know, as Andy was giving his answer, like they bought into, you know, you're working in your community and y'all love that. And I think that that connection that they made that, you know, we're not here making money, you know, because you could have been working on that same building making money. But they were working on the building that was an old building in the town of Wayne that had history that people would come by and talk about what they remembered about it. And it was just a proud moment. You and I went to a place called Big Laurel Learning Center, very rural, uh, Marbone Creek, Mingo County. And we did a lot of planning at that retreat. It was just you and I. But the main thing we worked on were our values, really articulating the values that no matter what, good or bad, we would stay true to these. And I remember that first week of the interviews was amazing. We brought the first crew for the orientation there in apartment one at Courtyard. Smelled horribly of cat pee, (laughs) which we were going to fix. We were going to turn that into our office in the future. But in addition to all the usual paperwork, everyone signed on 
to those values and put their signature on it. And then we put that up on the wall. And I think a lot of those values, we, we've summarized them now as gumption, grit, and grace. But the way we define gumption, grit, and grace really tie back to those original values of no complaining and whining, keep focused on the mission, follow through, trust and relationships are top priority. So I just appreciate you guys for what you've given to Coalfield Development and through Coalfield Development to the community. And I think the world of both of you and just really enjoyed our conversation today. As we reflect on our first decade, it's really amazing how far we've come and the impact that we've had. And yet I feel so excited that because we've come so far, I can't wait to see what we achieve in the next decade. Gumption, Grit, and Grace is a podcast created by Coalfield Development. I'm your host, Brandon Dennison, and production and editing was handled by JJN Multimedia. This episode was produced here on site at the West Edge Factory in Huntington, West Virginia. Become a part of our mission to rebuild the Appalachian economy from the ground up by visiting our website, coalfield-development.org. We would appreciate if you can make a donation and you can email us anytime at info at coalfield-development.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn as well. Check back for more episodes soon and learn more about how we're rebuilding the Appalachian economy from the ground up.